You're listening to messages from Cuyahoga Valley Church in Brunswick, Ohio. If you're looking for more resources or want to get in touch, head to our website at www.cvcbrunswick.org. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your day and help you experience new life in Christ. My name is Josh. I am the campus pastor here at CBC Brunswick. It is a privilege to be with you this morning. We're starting a new series. We're calling War and Peace. We're looking at the second half of the book of Ephesians, or um, the end of chapter 5 and chapter 6. And we're calling this War and Peace is because this passage of Scripture is about relationships and about spiritual, uh, the spiritual world. Okay, and the areas in our lives where we should have peace, uh, marriages, with our parents, with our siblings, with our relationships, those areas, we actually have war. And the areas we should have war, talking about the spiritual forces of darkness that are working to destroy our lives, we actually have peace in those areas. So what we're going to do, we're going uh, to look at Ephesians, actually finish uh, teaching Ephesians that we started last year. And um, we want to have peace in the areas we should have peace. We want to have war in the areas we should have war. Well, today we're going to talk about marriage. And we're going to talk about what marriage should be. Now, a Christian marriage, the Bible tells us, should look differently than our culture's marriage. The Bible tells us that marriage is actually a picture of Christ's love for the church. So that should be very different than what we see in our culture. But too often we see marriages as Christian marriages look very, very, very similar to what we see in our culture. And we know that right now in our culture, we have kind of a crisis of marriage Sociologists tell us that Generation Z and Millennials, more and more, and increasingly, they say, ah, marriage is not for me. Less and less of those generations actually have a desire to be married. So before uh, we look at the two countercultural patterns that the Bible's laid out for us in our marriage, I want to look at our cultural patterns. Now, before I do that, I do want to uh, acknowledge that Statistically, over half of people in the U.S. who are marriageable age are not married. They're single, uh, whether never married or divorced or widows. I want to like, affirm and I want to like, recognize you in, in our congregation this morning. But I want you to know that this message is for you because the Bible tells us that a, a marriage is a picture of Christ in the church. So when you see a healthy marriage... That's a picture of God's love for you. And when you see an unhealthy marriage, you realize, okay, that's not how God loves me. So I think this message is for everyone. All right. Well, first, I want to talk through the framework of marriages that we see in our culture and maybe marriages we experience ourselves. So I've got some illustrations for us behind these uh, David Blaine sort of shiny cloths here. All right. First, I want to talk about husbands. I see, and you probably will affirm, we see husbands on one side of the continuum. On one side, we see the sledgehammer husband. 
And maybe you grew up in a home where your dad was sledgehammer dad. This is my way or the highway. I'm the king of this castle. Yeah, everyone shut up and listen to me, right? Sledgehammer husband, overly aggressive, dominating, angry, suppresses everyone else in the home and everyone's a little walking on eggshells. This is sledgehammer husband. Well, on the other side of the equation, we see wet noodle husband. Wet noodle husband, he's got no backbone, he's passive, he's not a leader, he doesn't have a direction or a purpose in a marriage. So wet noodle husband, it's not my way or the highway, wet noodle husband is happy wife, happy life. (laughs) I mean, what husband here has not heard that multiple times, right, on his wedding day? This is, I want to avoid conflict at all costs. Now, of course, these are kind of caricatures, but I think if you're a husband, you can find yourself on one side of the continuum or the other. Now, ladies, from my experience, and actually Pastor Rick Duncan, our founding pastor, he kind of came up with this schema. On one side, we see the brick wall wife. Brick wall wife is hard, cold, distant, impenetrable, and aloof. Maybe something happened to her. Maybe she just observed men in the, in the culture. And her motto is, all men are idiots. Okay, that's a brick wall wife. On the other side of the equation, we've got the doormat wife. The doormat wife has no voice. She lets people uh, step all over her. She put up, puts up with the dirt. And sometimes she just functions merely as an ornament. And her motto is, I'm a woman. What do I know about that? So what happens is when you put a husband and a wife together in a marriage, things begin to form patterns. And in general, we could see four patterns of marriages. So when you put a sledgehammer husband and a brick wall wife together, you get a fireworks marriage and not those type of fireworks. When you put a brick wall wife and a wet noodle husband, you get a frigid marriage. Cool, cold, kind of like roommates, not a lot of intimacy going on. When you put a wet noodle husband and a doormat wife, you get a focusless marriage. There's not a direction. The marriage isn't moving forward in any specific place. It's like a sailboat without its sails. And when you put a doormat wife with a sledgehammer husband, you get a fearful marriage where she's afraid to speak up and everyone lives in fear. Now, here's a question for you. And you can interact. You'll see on the back of this handout, you'll see this kind of uh, chart there. Where would you put your parents' marriage? Where would you, is it a fireworks marriage, a, a frigid marriage? Is it a focusless marriage or a fearful marriage? And where would you put your marriage <laughs> if you're married? 
Well, I think we would all agree that none of us want one of these marriages. So maybe, and I think in the culture we see this, well, I think we just kind of need to shoot the middle. Try to be a good balance between a sledgehammer and a wet noodle. I don't know, like a, a noodle hammer, whatever that would, would look like. Or, you know, we, we, maybe wives are supposed to run the middle between a, a brick wall. You don't want people to run over you or, and, and then a doormat. Maybe you're like just like a, I don't know, a piece of plywood, <laughs> sheetrock wife. I don't know. But see, the Bible tells us that our marriages function independent of mere attraction or mere compatibility or mere ethnic uh, uh, connection or even merely, you know, of functioning and, 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 and jumping the hoops that society tells you to jump. See, the Bible tells us that God engineered marriage. He didn't create the world and look down and go, you know what marriage reminds me of? No, no. He engineered marriage for a purpose. All you engineers in the room, you know, you don't just, a product just pops out. I'm like, what are we going to use this for? No, there's a design and a purpose in mind. God engineered marriage so that we would have a picture and an illustration of Christ's love for his people. And God engineered marriage in two counter-cultural expressions that are very different than we see in our world today. It's this, that wives are to submit to their husbands as to the Lord. And we will address that in a minute. And husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And what, so what that means is our marriages should not function in this realm. Rather, if you're a follower of Jesus and you desire to live according to his design for marriage, our marriage should be marriages from above. Our marriages should reflect Christ's love for the church. So that when people see our marriages, they go, I am having a hard time putting you into the structures, your marriage into my mind. Like the husband's, husband, he's tough and tender. The wife is strong but submissive. How does that work? Well, it's because Christian marriage is supposed to be from above. So we're going to talk about how God engineered marriage in two counter cultural ways in order to show his love for the church. Okay, so let's jump into the passages. We're not, I'm not going to have any slides today, but all the scripture is going to be on this little handout that you've received. So I'd encourage you, there's pins in the back of the seat. If you want to write on there, make notes, you're more than welcome to. All right, well, let's look at these two counter-cultural ways that God shows his love for his people within marriage. All right, starting in verse 21, the very beginning of that half sheet. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ 
is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. All right. So I know this is a controversial passage. Okay. So at, uh, at our Broadview Heights campus, we were preaching through Ephesians. And we were trying to figure out when we were going to launch this campus. And it so landed that the launch date for this campus was going to be on this passage. And I said, Pastor Chad, we need to switch this up a little bit, right? Unless we want to be the punchline of our own joke, preaching on wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord, probably not uh, the, the, the passage we want to preach on first, okay? So I just want to recognize, yeah, this is a hard, culturally a difficult passage to teach on. And it's been um, this idea that wives are submit to submit to their husbands. It's been an odious smell in the nose of, of wives, at least since the 1960s. We see the changes within our culture. And it does seem like wives are submit to their husbands and husbands are to love their wives. It seems like wives are getting the short end of the stick. Like, oh, of course, husbands are supposed to love their wives. But what do you mean the submit thing? Well, I want to just remind you that even today, if this, these verses were uh, read in many, 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 potentially a majority of cultures today, verse tw- uh, 22 would not be controversial. Well, of course, wives submit to their husband. Any, uh, you know, non-Western cultures, that's just a given. Of course. And even in the writing of this letter um, in the first century, uh, Aristotle was very, very influential. And he had an ethics book called the Nicomachean Ethics. And in that, he outlines how women don't have uh, the character and the virtue to lead. They just, they, just, they just don't have it within them. And even the Greek view coming from Plato that women are insufficient, are, are not as good or as capable as men because they lack certain organs, right? Well, men have these, women don't, so women are inferior, okay? That's the culture. Okay, I, we don't believe that. Okay, we're going to unpack that in a little bit. But let's just kind of recognize that verse 25, that's the shocking verse, during the reading uh, or the writing of this letter. And that's the shocking verse in many cultures throughout the world. Because this word love, now this word love, it's not uh, eros. It's not like a strong sexual love. It's not phileo, which is like a friendly love. It's not even storgeo, which is like a familial love. This is the word agape. This is a holy surrendered love. This is love to the deepest core. And back in marriage during this time, in most cultures today, people didn't get married because of love. Are you kidding me? They got married because of social status or like, well, I got to have a wife so I can have sons to work the fields, right? And if you ever read uh, the... um, 
the Iliad, uh, the Iliad or, or where, where, where uh, the, the story of, of um, the Odyssey, I don't have this written down, I'm going off my notes. Um, yeah, uh, Odysseus, Odysseus. So he's right, he was tied to the masts of the ship, the Odyssey, and it's because he didn't want to hear the sirens calling out because women were dangerous because of their sexual attractiveness and they would, you, would get, you would get caught up in a love affair with a woman. No, no, there are more important things. So in this culture, verse 25 was the shocking verse and verse 22 was like, yeah, of course. So let's kind of look at those lenses because the Bible calls us to live counterculturally, counterculture from our culture today and counterculture from the culture of the first century where this was written, okay? Well, let's unpack these verses so we can understand how to live out uh, our lives in our marriage. Now, we don't have all the time to unpack this. This passage could be a six-week series. But myself and Lauren and Pastor Rick, we put together some resources that we'll have on our social media and encourage you to check those out. All right, well, let's look back again to verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, you see there in verse 22, it says, wives, submit, that word submit. There's actually no word submit in that verse. There's no verb in that verse. It literally says in the original language, which was written in Greek, wives to your own husbands. What's going on there is the apostle Paul is drawing from verse 22 and making a strong connection to verse I'm sorry, to verse 21 that says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So wives submitting to their husbands is underneath the umbrella of what we call mutual submission, where we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. If you've put your faith in Jesus, if you've been baptized and gone public, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. So we are to submit mutually to one another. We are to seek each other's good. And how that plays out in a marriage is that wives are to submit to their husbands. Now, before I unpack what this word submit means, let me share with you six things that submission is not, okay? Because we've all seen this done abusively and unbiblically. All right, submissive, this, this verse is not for women saying that women are to submit to men. It is saying a specific wife is to submit to a specific husband, okay? Secondly, this is not saying that women are inferior to men. No, contrary to the view of that day, Galatians 3.28 says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ. In Genesis chapter 1, the Bible tells us that humankind is made in the image of God. And lest we misinterpret, the verse, next verse says, male and female, he created them. Humankind, male and female, equally in the image of God. This verse is not saying, it's not a carte blanche 
command for a wife to do whatever her husband says. No, this form of submission is underneath the submission we all have to God and his word. This verse is not saying that women should be disempowered because submission assumes empowerment. My two-year-old does not submit to me. I dominate her when she runs out into the parking lot. I grab her. I pick her up kicking and screaming. Husbands should not do that. Okay, this is, uh, submission is assuming that wives have a strong leverage and power within the relationship. This verse is not saying that uh, submission to a husband is somehow forever. Matthew 22, Jesus says there's no marriage or giving in marriage in heaven. So submission of wives to their husbands is a temporary set of affairs that God has or engineered to show God's love for the church. And finally, submission is not being a doormat. Okay, well, what is submission? (laughs) Submission is voluntarily giving over your free use of power for the greater good. Say it again. It's voluntarily giving over the free use of power for the greater good. This is commonly seen in military. Um, and it, uh, submission, you, a, a woman and a man enters into this relationship. Whereas, you know, you're, you're married, you know, the most likely the husband or the, the, the man you're dating. And you said, would you marry me? And then, yes, she became your fiance. And then you went through this ceremony and then consummated a marriage. And that, that made your status in life different, both in the community and before God. And in entering into a marriage, a wife, a biblical marriage, a Christian marriage, a wife is saying, I voluntarily give over my free use of power. Women have financial power. You know, my, our money is together. Women certainly have sexual power. I am going to focus my attractiveness and my sexuality specifically to you and give over the free use of power to get a few extra drinks at the bar, okay? Women give over their free use of cultural power where they unite themselves to a husband. And come on, if you've got kids... Women, you know, the free use of your physical power when you're pregnant. It is taxing. So what the Bible is saying is that when women enter into a marriage and freely give over their use of power for the greater good, they are being like the church should be. And what that means is that, wives, when you submit biblically, you yield in strength to your husband. You become an example to everyone on how we should live as a church. No matter what your age and your life stage, when you yield your strength, when you yield your power, you're an example to, to all the men and all the women of, wow, that's m- what my heart should be before Jesus. I should be submissive to God's command, to his leading, so that I can be for the greater good of my family and those around me. 
You know who did this? You know who, who voluntarily gave up free use of power for the greater good? Jesus. Jesus, Philippians 2, gives us such a clear picture that he gave up his free use of power, went to the cross. Was it because God was like, I'm making you go to the cross if you like it or not? And he goes, no, 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 no. He said, Father, not my will, but yours be done. And what was the result? Salvation, forgiveness of sin, and an offer of new life. Wives, your biblical submission to your husbands in the way you do it, the stakes are eternal for your children, for your family, and for your community. And I, how you, wives, how you respond to your husband may be the best way you share the gospel with your neighbors and with your family. A lot is at stake. Okay, well, let's pivot now to husbands. Husbands in this passage have three times the scripture directed to them. For every one word that scripture is telling wives, he's, they're telling three to husband. It's because in this context, this section needed some explanation because all the husbands in the room go, whoa, wait, wait, whoa, wait, wait. No, no, love is not for marriage. I don't understand. So let's look at how uh, scripture explains husband's responsibility to their wives, starting in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such blemish. So husbands, we are to love our wives. If I mentioned earlier, it's, it's not eros, sexual desire. It's not phileo. It's not strong love of a friend. It's not storgeo, love of a family member. It is agape. It is the love God shows us. So husbands, you are to love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And how did Christ love the church? He gave up his entire self to the church. Schedules, time, attention, affection, hobbies, bodies, mind, relationships, everything is given over to your wife to pursue her good. And why do we give it all up? Scripture tells us, so that she might be holy and without blemish. So there's a tendency in Christian men, because I see it in my own life, you think, okay, I give everything over to my wife. So whatever, so, so, so that means whatever she wants, whatever comes to her mind that she would like, that's what I should give her, right? So we might think, okay, I guess I'm the wet noodle husband. Yes, ma'am, whatever. Avoid conflict at all costs, right? Happy wife, happy life. What the Bible is saying here that we are supposed to be used by God to make holy our wives. It's, it's, so our mantra should not be happy wife, happy life. Rather, it should be holy wife, happy life. And I tell you what, that's gonna cause conflict. 
Right? Anytime you've grown in your relationship with the Lord or in anything, conflict is a necessary piece of becoming who God designed us to be fully. So men, what that means, it does not mean this. So we're, you know, we're going to be part of a church. We're going to be part of life. We're going to read our Bible together every, you know, you know that, that is, this is not what Christ is calling us to. But we are to pursue our life's holiness. And the result is our happiness. So how does that look? Let's keep reading. Verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Now, this is the section that I was really convicted of personally. Um, What the Bible is saying is with the same urgency that I would attend to my hand if I cut it open at a job site or attend to my ankle if I blew my Achilles, with that same urgency, I should urgently be seeking how I could serve and love my wife. So I'll tell you, I'll tell you my own weakness here. And my wife is here first service, so she verified this. Um, I can often think, okay, I've got my lane to run in. You've got your lane to run in. If you, you know, okay, babe, you're dealing with something. You, okay, that's you, you got to deal with. I, I got to deal with this. It's not what the Bible says. The Bible says is something's going on in my wife's heart. She's dealing with an uh, issue with a friend or a sister or, or, or something going on, insecurities. I must attend to her with holiness, with scripture, with love and grace and mercy. With the same urgency, I would attend to a blown out ankle. And I will say, I don't do that. But I am called to that. Because unless I'm going to be over here, I don't want to be a wet noodle husband. But the only way to do that is to look to Jesus from above because I'm naturally selfish. But when I look to Christ and he gives me his power, my heart begins to change so that it hurts when my wife hurts. That's an area that is convicting to me. I want to hurt when my wife hurts. Okay, well, what does this look like? Wives submitting your husbands as unto the Lord. Husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Okay, how, how does this look? <laughs> Paul gives us kind of a PG-13 explanation here. Look at me, uh, verse 31. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ in the church. Okay, so, so, so Paul says um, the primary aspect that makes your marriage a marriage and not just a friendship, right? The unitive nature, physical unity, one flesh unity within church, within a, a marriage. That he, Paul's saying that's like the peak illustration for the unity God wants with Christ in the church. Both the 
initiation and invitation and the result, fruitfulness. This is how faithful marriage, this is a picture God engineered even to the propagation of the species. That's to point us to God's love for us. All right, well, how do we do this? How do we get the, I think it's easy to go, okay, not that, not that, not that, not that. Okay, I, I know what, like, but how do I change? <laughs> how do I actually, because these are all heart things. You can, you know, if I could be like, hey, men, you need to do the dishes every Thursday night. Or, you know, ladies, you got to buy a new dress or what, you know, I could give you these kind of trite ideas. And maybe that's something, I don't know, you could do. But how do we get the power to actually change from the inside? How wise, how do you get the power not to become bitter when your husband is not loving you as Christ loved the church? Husbands, how do you keep from becoming angry when your wife just will not go along with something you feel like God is leading you toward? The only source of that power is Jesus. Haven't we all been laid open with some situation in our marriage we just can't work through? The person we love the most often is the person we hurt the most. A true Christian biblical marriage only comes when we fall deeper and deeper in love with Jesus. Because Jesus is not a sledgehammer. He is tender and kind. Children flock to him, but he is not a wet noodle. Because scripture says he set his face toward Jerusalem, knowing that he would die on the cross. Jesus is not a brick wall. He's inviting us so the weak and the needy flock to him. But Jesus is not a doormat because he laid down his eternal power for our good. You see, Jesus is the perfect model of being a husband and being a wife. The perfect model for submission and love. And it is only until we fall deeper and deeper in love with Jesus that we're freed to fall deeper and deeper in love with our spouse. You know, one of the challenging, like, like I think if, if we do fall in love with deep, deeper in love with Jesus, things will change in our lives for sure. But it's hard for me to say, okay, you guys need to do this and this and this. Because in our culture, marriages look different than they have in the past, right? Your grandparents, or certainly your great grandparents, if you would ask them, hey, who makes dinner? I'm like, uh, the wife? <laughs> who mows the lawn? Like it, but in previous generations, the lanes were a little clearer of which we run in. But now, families are different. Families are different. It's neither good nor bad. It's just different. So how does this look? How does it look to live this out? Well, I don't know, but I've got some uh, questions that I'm going to challenge you to ask your spouse if you are married. Now, these questions are potentially nuclear. Um, do not ask them on the way home. Make sure everyone's got a snack, well hydrated. Um, you have enough time to walk this through. And here are the questions. There's one for the husband to ask the wife, the wife to ask the husband. And there's actually one for singles as well. So sometime this week, I'm challenging challenge husbands, you to ask this to your wife. What is one area where you feel that I put my needs before your own? Now, I asked Deborah um, this question, and I had to remind her, 
one area. Okay, we're starting with one. Wives, I want, you to, uh, uh, I want you to ask this of your husband. What is one area where you feel disrespected by me? Because look at me, that final section, verse 33 says, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So respect and submission go hand in hand. And then folks who are single in this room, I want you to ask yourself this question. Or ask a roommate, a colleague, a sibling, a parent, what area in my life do I have the most trouble submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ? What area do I always think of myself first? So my heart and my prayer is that our marriages in our congregation will look more and more like Jesus in the church and that people would see our marriages and go, something's different (laughs) about you guys. And we would have an opportunity to share the hope we have in Jesus. And I would be remiss if you have never put your faith in Jesus. Maybe you long for the type of love that we see in the media or see in movies, this all enraptured love that someone would fall in love with you, you would fall in love with them. I tell you, that is a myth apart from the love of Jesus. And I would invite you to receive the love of Jesus. Fall in love with Jesus this morning. You do that by simply acknowledging that he died on the cross. He rose again so that he, you could be in his church and he would be married to you. And if you make that commitment, you feel the Lord moving you, I would love to walk with you in that decision. So I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna invite the team up. We're gonna have a few more uh, uh, songs uh, to close out our service. Heavenly Father, thank you for marriage. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you designed, you engineered marriage to show how much you love us. Lord, we're the unfaithful spouse. (laughs) Your church is unfaithful. We are unloving. We are rebellious. We push against your moves. So Father, forgive us in that. Lord, may we submit to your word, submit to your leadership, be Uh, uh, be focused about the things that you are focused on and not about the things that we want to be focused on. Lord, I pray for marriages in this uh, congregation that are struggling. I pray for singles that just would love to be married. I pray for widows and widowers who miss deeply, deeply uh, their spouse. Would you comfort, would you guide, would you encourage and lead in every way? Lord, beautify your church. Wash us with your word so that we can be a better reflection of your love. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening, friends. If you want to talk about anything that you've heard today, don't hesitate to reach out. You can find contact information and further teaching series on our website at www.cvcbrunswick.org.